the the feeling of grief that Rosie Spall was dying. And and I think that was one of the hardest bits. And it wasn't, you know, it was like, almost like a phoenix. Do you know what I mean? I knew I wasn't dying completely. But before you know what that rebuild will look like, the dying is really hard. Welcome everybody to A Woman's Blessing podcast. My name is Lynette Allen and this show is dedicated to celebrating and honouring the strength and resilience of women the world over. My whole career has been dedicated to supporting women to rise in their lives and what I've noticed over my 20 years or so in this work is that women are tough, we are resilient and we are so so brave. We develop courage on a soul level when we find ourselves in our deepest, darkest hours and we pull through, no matter what is going on. And this show is about meeting some of those women, women who have done that. We'll be hearing their most personal stories of their darkest times to reveal how they got through, what they did exactly, maybe what someone else did for them or maybe somebody gave them a hand up or just a word at the right time. But what exactly happened in those darkest moments? How did they move from A to B? This is about sharing the how in order to inspire every woman. And my guest today is the most beautiful woman, honestly. I'm so excited to be talking to her. I talk to her quite a lot, actually. She's my daughter, Rosie Withers. She's my stepdaughter, to be perfectly honest, but as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> I'm her mother too. So, Rosie, welcome to my show. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm so excited. So just a brief background. When I met Rosie for the first time, I was dating her dad. We had been together just a couple of dates. And I had seen Rosie because when I picked dad up for our first date, there was like 16 kids in the living room. It was completely overwhelming for me. And Rosie was just this little one in the corner. And I was like, can we go now? And really, very, very soon after that, I moved in with a dad and a daughter, Rosie and Mark, and they were the most awesome team. I couldn't work out where the boundaries of parenting were. They were just like flatmates. And then I certainly, as time went on, understood how their relationship worked. But right from the very beginning, Rosie has been the most inspiring teen she's not a teen anymore she's 25 I'll let her explain a little bit about her journey in a minute but you know she's had a pretty intense last well seven years Rosie (laughs) it really has been and I remember writing you a Christmas card the year you got (laughs) pregnant with Rhoda and I said this will be a pivotal year for you and now I write it every year just yes. for the fun of it, just to see what's going to happen. <laughs> just really throw me in the deep end. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what can we do with Rosie's life this no year? So Rosie, tell us, a bit, <laughs> tell us a bit about you and what you want to share with our listeners today, because you could share, I don't know, 10 topics at least where you found yourself in struggle and you've got yourself out of it. But what did you want to share today? Tell us about you. Okay. Um, yeah, so as you said, so I'm 25, um, and there's, there are. It has been a. It feels like a roller coaster, six or seven years. Um, 
for various reasons. And, and there is quite a few things I could talk about. The one that is probably the most uh, important, I think, for me to talk about was falling pregnant at 18 with Rhoda. Um, that yeah, I think that one is the most important to me because it was the first time I ever really had to deal with uh, such a an explosion maybe or or such an experience that threw my life quite out of control so what happened around that time because we had a a coffee in a coffee shop and you said to me I think I might be pregnant and you were 18 and I was like okay well do you know what if you are it's fine right and then And then you said, no, no, no. Uh, A few weeks later, I said, how did you go? Did you do a test? And you're like, no, (laughs) it's fine. And then, of course, (laughs) and then he came around with Steve and went, actually, I am. So tell me how that hit you. Like what happened for you? Because I know our perspective, but what happened for you? Um, So Steve and I actually hadn't even been together that long. We, We were very committed to each other. Um, but I mean, it was six months and then we fell pregnant. And obviously when you're 18, that's, that is a huge change. Um, but you know, it was bizarre. I remember when, um, we thought, we thought that maybe I was pregnant. Um, my boobs hurt was the first sign. And, um, I bought two pregnancy tests and I remember sitting on the bus with Steve and he said, um, why have you bought two? And I said, well, because if I'm not pregnant, then I'd quite like to do another test just to see if I am. Because actually, the point that our relationship was in, we, we've always had quite a mature relationship, really. And I think we both knew that it would be okay. So even before finding out and having to adjust the reality of having a baby, we both knew it would be okay. And actually, maybe it'd be quite an exciting chapter. So it was a real mix of, mm. it, honestly, it was really quite 50-50 before we found out. It was like, okay, so if we're not, obviously that's great. You know, Obviously that means we've got a few more years of freedom, <laughs> of, of being individuals, of being a couple. But if we are, it will be okay. Okay. Um, and then when we found out we were, we spent the whole night laughing. Yeah, yeah. We found out <laughs> oh, about 11 word. o'clock at night when everyone was asleep. And um, I think we were up until four wow. or five just giggling like like kids. You know, it's so funny, isn't it? That the naivety as well, when you haven't had a child and you're so young, wow. the naivety that just comes with the exciting giggling and just discussing names and then going, mm. oh, goodness, we have to tell everyone. Because <laughs> obviously that's really mm-hmm. daunting. How was that for you? How was telling everybody? Because it was a shock for, you know, all of us. And, you know, I know that we've talked about it since. So what was, was, what was going on for you at that time? Um, but at the same time, and now this is, again, probably something that was beautiful with the naivety of being really young and not having kids is that we completely and utterly thought we'd be okay. And obviously we are okay. But actually it was a shock when lots of people were like, oh my God, are you going to be okay? Mm. What are you going to do? And it was like, we'll be fine. <laughs> and, and actually, if anything, because mm. we were so naive to it, it was scary, but it wasn't scary in terms of how I thought people would react too much. 
And then it became a bit scary when most, I don't think maybe one of our friends, their first reaction was congratulations, but it wasn't filled with congratulations. Actually, not many people said congratulations. Yeah. And we were so Mm, adamant that we'd be okay because only Steve and I knew our relationship Mm. and how we worked and spoke together and how we knew that our communication was always really good from the beginning. But other people didn't know that. And I can appreciate they're looking at two teenagers who have mm. been together six months, no. you know, prancing around in theatre, having a great time. Yeah. And then they fall pregnant. Of course, that's shocking. But for us, we sort of knew. Mm. And funnily enough, just after or just before you fell pregnant, you were in a play together, <laughs> the leading yeah. roles, pretending you had a I baby that together. Show. I had to have a bump on for the whole, oh. like, the whole end of Act <laughs> 2. <laughs> So at what point, because we're talking for this time about your, you know, the darker moments and not to dwell on that because this is about how you got out of that. But what were your real struggles when you had to gather every inch of what you were doing and go, right? I think it was the adjustment to the changes that came with my identity. I think that was the hardest thing. Um, Do you know the physical Okay. The physical changes in my body, I sort of got around. That wasn't a big deal. Even the the emotional aspect of having a baby was not... We just coped fine with actually having to look after a small person. Even that wasn't the hard thing. The hardest and the darkest part was my identity change. Yeah. Okay. I remember you talking about that because you were Rosie Spall, obviously, and then you got married and you changed that to Rosie Withers. And, and that was... Yeah. You were pregnant when you got married, but the whole thing was about who am I going to become? You know, what is my identity now? And what am I going to look like? How am I going to dress? And it was a real shift for you, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was like a, um, I remember when, especially when I got married, actually, the the feeling of grief that Rosie Spall was dying. And, and I think that was one of the hardest bits. And it wasn't, you know, it was like, almost like a phoenix. Do you know what I mean? I knew I wasn't dying completely. But before you know what that rebuild will look like, the dying is really hard. I remember the night before your wedding, because you left from our house, your family home, which had been your family home since you were three. And you left there, were living with us um, as yeah. Rosie Spool, and you you never spent another night unless it was for a holiday. And I remember you being curled up in dad's arms, you know, with a great big teenager and your long legs and, and everything else and a baby. It happened so quickly. The minute you find out you're pregnant, you know life has to change. Mm. And, it, and I say has to, it actually doesn't have to. But we made the decision mm. that if we're going to have a baby so young, we do it how we'd have done it if we'd have had a baby when we were 30 or 20 that was what we needed to do yeah for us that was how we needed to um raise our game and some people don't have to do those steps and they still fit into that role well but for us we needed to yeah we had to raise our game in that aspect um and it was I think it was the so there was the loss of identity that was hard Mm. and there was I did a show just before no I was pregnant so just before I got married and one of the lines that I said was, and I will fit in my leather trousers again. And it was really, yeah, it was a really poignant moment, wasn't it? And it it was all about my, the journey into, you know, your body changes and you can't fit in these clothes. And then, you know, a year later, 
I did fit in those leather trousers again, but they weren't right. They didn't feel right. And I think that was one of the one of the most I'd say profound for mm. that. I almost feels a bit too big, but it was I, I still it's still I still carry it now. I still carry it. And do you know what? I still want a pair of leather trousers. Every time I try them on, they don't feel right. Yeah. And and, and it's just a pair of leather trousers, but it's not really <laughs> it's not about the actual trousers itself. Wow. And and that was I remember wearing them for a few days and having to come to terms with okay this isn't one this isn't the appearance that I want anymore this isn't the the rebirth chapter that those leather trousers didn't fit in there and it wasn't me anymore that wasn't I wasn't that wild blue yeah. haired chain smoking <laughs> leather wearing teenager anymore I- honestly when when I first moved in with Rosie oh my god. She turned, uh, within weeks, her hair was bright blue. And honestly, if there's anybody that suited blue hair, it was Rosie. And I picked her up from Ipswich Station one morning after the night before. And oh my God, she was just sat on the curb drinking water with blue hair, chain smoking. (laughs) You were so cool. I guess you were mourning the loss of that Rosie because that Rosie had a lot of fun, you know, doing those things out all night drinking. And No, I couldn't. I couldn't and I didn't want to and I, a few people said to us can you ask the grandparents mm. to raise them mainly do you know what I mean can mm. you both move in with a parent and raise it together and Steve and I were so adamant that that's not how we that's not how we wanted to do it we didn't want to compromise our parenting just because we were younger but that of course meant the death of that chapter of our lives yeah because I can't raise a baby when I'm still going out smoking and drinking and yeah straight yeah. away you know, and the lovely thing is, is that what seven years on, I'm finding that side of myself again, but in a completely different way. Yeah. So for five years, it was gone. I had to let go of it completely, and now it's coming back yeah. together, but in a really different way, and I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So can I ask you, we for five years that completely went because you had Rody yep. first of all, and then actually. Uh, three years later, four years, no, three years later, you had Mac. So you've got the two now. So for a while, that old identity was gone. But how did you come to terms with that? And what was what was it that you did at the time? We, um, it was when I was struggling with this loss of identity, and I was being drawn towards the church community, which was safe, which was comforting, which was um, more grown up. Uh, and then I was also being pulled back into the theatre that I loved, the booze, that that real sort of more party lifestyle. And we drew a horseshoe out. I remember us saying, in order to step forward, mm. I have to let go of the past. And yeah, it's funny, it's, it's such, it, that was the moment. And it wasn't that I had to let go of it and never do it again. It wasn't that I had to stop talking to those people or anything like that. It was just, I have to let it go in order to excel in this next chapter of my life fully. And we we drew a horseshoe and on one end of the horseshoe was past Rosie, teenager Rosie. Yes. And on the other side was how I will rebuild. Oh, I remember now. And for me, that was church. And that made a massive difference. Um, So, and when it comes back to what did I do... In okay. terms of physical. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So hang on, let's just, let me just clarify that a bit. So that was, because I remember now, 
So we got a blank piece of paper and we drew a horseshoe, but I can't remember the significance of the horseshoe, but I think, I can't remember who it was. I know that the visualization came from me. Whose idea was the horseshoe? So (laughs) I felt like I was being torn between (laughs) two sides and I was in the middle. Okay. Ah, yes, yes, yes. It's coming back now. God, this is a long time ago. So we sat down with a, a blank sheet of paper and said, okay, let's draw you. And you drew a horseshoe. Yeah. And it was like, here is me on one side and here is the the me in the middle and here is who I could be. And then you kind of got it figured out. Mm, Hugely. Yes, absolutely. And then with that came the, I had to completely allow myself to grieve. I had to give myself the time to mourn and to grieve that chapter and to really come into acceptance that it will be different now. And I think actually out of all of it, out of everything I did, it was the allowing mm-hmm. the grieving that made the biggest difference to, for me to really embrace the next chapter of my life. Yeah, allowing yourself to feel it. Yeah. Because yeah. often we don't want to feel that stuff because it's painful and we... And that was the beauty of it. You know, when, when you do just let yourself grieve and relax, you actually end up, You're it, for me anyway, I end up, accepting Mm. that I'm not in control and then therefore I actually feel a lot more stable or more in control bizarrely (laughs) yeah I see that there was a word it's not coming to my mind now but when you were with the church I had it written in my journal uh sort of pray on a word do you remember what that word was it was something like succumb but it wasn't It, it was about um relaxing basically wasn't it relaxing into whatever comes my way Mm. um I started researching the shit out of parenting (laughs) (laughs) well I've got a lot of parenting tips from you for your sister because your sister is seven yeah yeah we've had a lot of conversations so I'd let go well I hadn't obviously because grieving is such a long period but Um, it isn't just, oh, I've grieved and then I'm over it. It, It's a long thing. But during the process, um, my first sort of rebuilding was the acceptance that, okay, I'm going to be a parent and how do I want to do this? Um, Because obviously I didn't know anything about, I didn't really know anything about kids. I didn't even have any siblings until Livy was born and she was only a year when I got married. So, And so then I just researched and I looked at, there were a few things that didn't feel right to me. I didn't like the idea of timeouts. Mm. I didn't like the idea of punishments. So I researched those in more depth. Um, and then I think it was Steve's mum suggested baby wearing. And once I looked into baby wearing, it felt so right to yeah. hold your child close. And that just spiraled a whole load of, I just read article after article after article about children's brain development, baby's brain development, yeah. the fourth trimester and how they still need you as much as they did when they were in the womb. Endless amount of things that helped me to then own my role as a mother. And you did it really well, I have to say. You did it so damn well. My God, you really did. I mean, it was because of you that Livy wanted attachment parenting because I hadn't, I hadn't heard of that. I was 38 when I had Livy. Yeah, almost 39. I hadn't really heard of that. And it wasn't until, well, 18 months later when you were wearing road all of the time that I was like, oh, man, okay. But then Livy was quite big. She was 18 months old. And, but she then wanted to be in a sling with me. She, she, 
she like opted oh, so for the context. Yeah, I'll have some of we that, really please. Did together, didn't we, in that period of time? <laughs> it's nice to remember that. Mm. I think we we have learned together about how to parent. I've had lots of times where I phoned you, and and you've had some times where you've messaged me, and and it's been on Messenger, and you've said this is happening right now. <laughs> the thing the thing that I've discovered is there's only so much research you can do. You know, it's all very well researching and reading articles whilst you've got a newborn who, you know, realistically doesn't do anything. <laughs> and then they start toddling around and turning into a slight monster at times. And, and all of a sudden, these wonderful techniques that you've read about actually don't work. <laughs> and then you have to think about it a bit more. And that's when absolutely that's like, a, what do I do? Yeah. But, the, the, you know, the practical implementation of those tips or those parenting I think you those parenting skills I think you did really really well but the the actual learning of it that was the thing for you that was what I needed yeah to gain some form of control to completely and utterly accept the role that I was moving into and then the minute that Rhoda was here it was you just put all that into action you know it didn't feel as frightening because Mm. I understood why she might cry if she wasn't next to me in my bed or I understood why she might go to Steve who's her dad but still be really upset because she'd been in my womb for three you know nine months yeah I I understood those elements that can feel very frightening and that yeah really helped me to step into my role as a mother and but interestingly enough I then when I had Mac I actually had to I had to relax so what came alongside the research which is why I think it's so interesting that you look yeah I have to look at my life and see it as seasons Mm -hmm. at that season of my life with Rhoda what I needed to do was research and that wasn't a wrong decision because Rosie at that time really really needed that when Matt came along I had to stop researching because my anxiety was so high that I felt like I was failing Rhoda and I was failing Mac if I couldn't meet the expectations that I'd put of myself that were really high and then you know with Mac I had quite bad postnatal depression alongside with anxiety and and I had to completely let go I remember Rhoda started buying her nails which is really not a big deal but I broke down and that I was actually I was crying about that for about a month because I'd felt like such a failure I felt like I'd failed her so badly because I had this expectation of who I was as a parent. So then hit the next season of my parenting where I actually had to mm. not research and I had to let go of all of that and trust that the important research that I did at the beginning about attachment and about, you know, respecting your child as, as they are a human, I had to just trust that that was deep within me and that it will come out more naturally and more organically rather than a bit more head. Mm. And I think it has. It has though, right? Because that's, for me, that's who you are when I see you. When I, in fact, when I talk to you on any level, when I talk to you about us or about my seasons, and I'm pleased you brought up the word seasons because that helps me. I think when we have these conversations, we've had them before without being recorded. I always learn from you. And I love that word seasons because there's always like spring, summer, autumn winter and your life goes in seasons yeah so but yet that is so deeply ingrained in you yeah absolutely I think you're so right about the seasons and I think sometimes we beat ourselves up too much with regrets but you no know, we do what we have to do in that 
in that season of life and we find the ways that we cope and you know they will change they will change I don't think there's a foolproof you know I used to think because I was a lot more I was probably a lot more head-based with knowledge and research I used Mm. to think that there'd be a foolproof technique so you know you go through a moment of low you just journal and then you'll be fine but actually I haven't journaled for a few months because what I should do actually because it would really help but sometimes journaling is not what I need I need to get out I need to go for a walk there are there are different methods of of helping for me in particular for helping me not to spiral into a a place of sadness Mm. or or, you know anxiety or whatever it's not always the same method that works and the methods that might have worked 10 years ago might not work now no I think we mustn't beat ourselves up for that because we're ever-changing so our solutions to our new season has to change too I think you're really good at that though because I know you've had some very difficult times since Mac was born as well and from hearing you from so far away because I've been in different countries most of this time you have absolutely in the end nailed techniques Mm. for you to reduce Mm -hmm. anxiety for you to remember who you are because as well I you may not want to go into the topic but you don't have the church anymore because that's not something that is um is a priority for you anymore so you don't have that network that you did have in the beginning. And I I think from watching you and hearing you and knowing you, you've you've changed your support for yourself and your self-care. If there if you could tell me like three or four things for your self-care. I don't put them into practice as well. I don't mind talking about um the church thing actually, because I I don't feel like I can talk about my self-care now without mentioning just a tiny bit about that because um just to fill the listeners in, I was really heavily involved with um, my church and my faith as a Christian was incredibly important to me. Through various reasons that fell apart. But with the with the falling apart of my faith, I lost every single one of my coping strategies because my way of dealing with hardships, with challenges in life always came back to my faith which again, I have no regrets. I needed that. I needed to rebuild that Mm. when I had Rhoda. So then coming back to your question about what I do now, I still struggle to discover what I do now. So I think, so what's it been? It's been two years since those coping strategies fell apart. For the first year of that, I completely ignored anything deep, anything vulnerable, anything deep would hurt too much. And I just wouldn't listen to it. Um, and I suppose that was my coping strategy at the time. Whether that's a healthy one, I don't know. But I just had to ride that out because we also had Mac, who was, you know, a baby. And I just sort of had to survive that chapter. And now rebuilding my coping strategies, yeah. I find that question quite hard to answer. And that makes me a bit sad because I'd love to be able to tell you exactly what it is I do. But mm. I'm I'm still only at the baby steps of rebuilding that. I understand that. I see you do some things though. I see you go out with the children. I see you breathe. I see you um, taking yourself off to another room for a few moments and not being so hard on yourself. I see oh, yeah. you. I see <laughs> you explaining to Rhoda. You know, sometimes Mummy doesn't know what to do, and I might get it wrong. 
I see you communicating with Rhoda particularly because her behavior I know has been more challenging than Max right of late so but I see you dealing with that and dealing with her yeah. behavior which has helped you I I see it that's helped you with feeling like okay we're doing this because you're at home all the time with the kids and Steve's at work so you have that full time so that's what I see in you and that's like different to what I've seen before the coping strategies I've seen before have been the church and the praying and the the going to meetings and but Mm. having not had that absolutely and actually hearing you say it makes me realize that I think sometimes when I'm looking for coping strategies I'm expecting big things um but you're right and and actually seeing Rhoda's behavior has been really challenging and if anything sometimes in those moments when I don't cope do you know what there's a humanness to it she doesn't cope very well she's not the only one she can see that sometimes I don't cope very well and that allows conversation where you know she's not she's not going to feel like the only person in the world who's ever been angry because she's seen me get angry Mm. and although that doesn't feel very nice as a parent when Mm. you get angry at them or or you have days where you're just crying you know the thing that I really value about the way that Steve and I have chosen to parent is that we talk to them we talk to them we explain how we're feeling and you're right that that is true and that has really Mm. helped for me to not just bury my emotions but to talk about it and I think you talk about your feelings and emotions to road and in as grown up a way as you can language wise just like I do with with Livy um and I got that from you by by treating them as not adults but you know giving them the respect that your you know life isn't always going to be really easy and today I feel really sad or today I'm finding our connection a bit lost <laughs> good of you too, I don't listen very much <laughs> I feel like I just blag my way through the day that's just surviving um another thing that just coming back to your question of actually what I do now I go outside and I notice it when I haven't been outside I, I thrive from outside and I'm also really hmm. rubbish at putting myself outside so I can feel it as you know recently I've realized that I haven't been to the woods for a long time. And when I go there, I, I completely unwind. I really do. So definitely getting yeah. outside and getting a bit of an adventure. It, I, I think for me, I have to be aware enough of my fallback strategies, which actually aren't that good at the moment, of, of trying to get myself out of situations that will probably help me to thrive. And, and at the moment, I'm trying to learn how to overcome that and to accept that my thoughts are just my thoughts. They don't have to be real. They don't have to be mm. overpowering. That's just my thoughts. And, and it's the same with um, I've, I've struggled with real anxious feelings around ill health at the moment and, and trying to pinpoint yeah. the areas where I start to feel anxious. So for yeah. me, that's if me or my family are poorly that's when I start to get wobbly and then try and be really aware of how do I respond you know look at me I try and look at myself like I'm not myself you know to step out outside of myself and watch my behavior and what I choose to do in those moments so for example one of the things that I've noticed I do when I'm anxious is that I research 
I go straight to researching. But actually, that now is part of my spiral towards a really anxious place. Yeah, that's my first warning sign. And I have to stop. Because I already know. I already know now. So for example, with, um, with rashes, so my Mac had a rash, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, a full body rash. And obviously you see a rash on your kid and you start to panic. Um, but I've already researched most illnesses. <laughs> and I knew in my head, he didn't have a temperature. He was well in himself. Mm. He had a rash, yeah, but everything else was fine. Then my fallback was to research, but I knew that he was okay. So I had to, I had yeah. to get in the way of myself right. and go, you don't need to research. You need to sit back. You need to trust yourself. You need to listen to what you're telling yourself. Stop yeah. reading. Mm. See, this is why you're so damn good. So I don't know if you know how good you are because you're really self-aware. I take that both for granted as well because both my mum and my dad were really good at instilling that in me as a as a child. I was I was definitely raised with that, and I can appreciate that. I take that very for granted, and for for some people, that is an incredibly difficult skill to learn how to do. And I hope my children can do the same thing. I hope that I can pass that on. And actually, do you know what I say? Hope I know they can because I watch them now. I watch yeah. Mac, who is two, and yeah. he's just talking, and he'll be really angry, and he'll say to Rhoda, I am angry at you because you took my toy. And I think, okay, okay, this is cool. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we've spoken about such a lot, and we're we're kind of thinking about winding down our time together. But like, if you could summarize some of the key things that you, th- you think other people might find helpful based on what you've done you know you had this teenage pregnancy um you lost your you had a massive support system in the church for one reason or another that went completely you are still building your support system although we've now realized you actually do have quite a good support system in yourself you know throughout any I obviously haven't had all the you know I'm never going to have all the life experiences but I think this applies to every situation you can go through is try and allow yourself to feel even if it's really really painful um because you're not the only one you will never be the only one that has felt a certain way you might be the only one that's ever experienced it the way that you experience mm. it but there are thousands millions of people mm. who have experienced grief in one way or another so take comfort in that one you're not the only one two Try and allow mm. yourself to just feel whatever feeling you're feeling because that's so important. Yeah. And then in terms of in terms of if, if somebody has a child who mm-hmm. who is a child who is pregnant, <laughs> you know, like I was a, a, a teen, um try and try and trust them if you can. Because actually what what someone really needs when they're going through a change like that Mm. is they need to know that people trust them in the role because when they don't trust themselves in the role they know that other Mm. people do and actually that's what everyone basically did beautifully when Steve and I said we were pregnant 
everyone supported us and they they all said blimey this is going to be a roller coaster but you've got this so in the days where we didn't have it we knew that other people had our back so do you know even if you don't know if they've got it yeah trust them try and trust them and let them know that they'll that you've got their back that you're supporting them you're cheering them on because we can get through these big events if we've got each other but when we feel alone that then gets really really difficult yeah and I also think as a parent that's very hard because you want to help and protect them as much as possible and by letting them just get on with it that's not going to cause the least suffering that's not going to be the Mm. most the least painful experience because actually being left to do it is really hard and obviously it's not about just like dad has done he doesn't just say he's not there it's not about not having someone present it's about having someone present who just holds the space to just let you figure all of that nonsense out whilst Mm -hmm. holding your hand and we have had a a brilliant support a brilliant emotional support over the years with people who do that yeah because we all do things so differently and I think for us that's helped Steve and I to really um figure out what it is that how we navigate our relationship throughout this how we navigate our parenting because it is always going to be different because we all have different triggers and different opinions and different experiences Rosie I think you're doing an amazing job I mean I absolutely adore you which you know and I love you to bits but I just really get inspired every time I talk deeply with you and when we do meet in person and when we're able to have some time just us I value everything because because I learn Thank so you. much just Thank from you so much. hearing you and listening to you and and you teach me and I teach you and I just really really love that I think you you are an amazing young woman I've seen your strength and I know you and I love you deeply if you have a story of courage and bravery where you had to dig deep into your resilience and find your true power just like Rosie did I'd love to hear from you when women stand up and tell their stories they really do give hope and inspiration to those that are struggling right now women need a whole ton of strength sisters women that they know and women that they don't know to be held by and to be heard by and to be inspired by when women celebrate their own courage and honor their stories we give permission to other women to do the same Dig deeper into your own self-discovery. Check out our hideaway retreats, our secret coaching calls and our divine rituals to get you back on the road to your highest purpose at www.awomansblessing.com. But from me and from Rosie, um, just thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to us. And um, I hope that it has inspired you as much as this beautiful girl inspires me. Thank you so much, Rosie. Bye for now, everybody.